Um, last week, uh, among other things, we were, uh, it was an important day, like we said, it was Mother's Day and, you know, uh, but there was a really important event that was happening last week and it was Game 7 of the Toronto Raptors game. And, uh, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't jump into the sermon without following up uh, from that last week. And uh, so let me just set the stage a little bit for you. So I, I went home and, uh, and I gathered my boys in the living room. Uh, I set up a projector uh, in the living room, sound system, and I gave them uh, just some historic context. Um, a, the Raptors have had a losing uh, history since its inception, uh, outside of the last five years where they're starting to win a little bit. Uh, but 18 years ago, and so I, I, I've been a long-suffering Raptors fan, uh, 20 plus years, but 18 years ago, uh, the Toronto Raptors were playing the Philadelphia 76ers in game seven of the second round. And uh, they were led by an individual named Vince Carter, Air Canada. And it went to game seven. It was Vince Carter versus Allen Iverson. And Vince Carter had a buzzer beater to win in game seven to send the Raptors for the very first time to the Eastern Conference semi or Eastern Conference finals. And maybe some of you have seen the shot, but he shot it, and it clanged out. No one has ever hit a Game 7 game winner in the history of the NBA. And then so last Sunday, I, I, I told my boys this. And it was a jump shot. It was a three-point jump shot right from the corner, um, the corner of the court. And so I gave them the context, and I told my boys, this is 18 years later. We're playing Philadelphia 76ers, game seven. This is what happened. Vince Carter missed the buzzer beater. And, and if they would have won, they would have gone on to play the, who? the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. And who is waiting for us right now in the Eastern Conference Finals? The Milwaukee Bucks. It's like 18 years ago all over again. And I've been waiting for 18 years for a point of redemption. And then we watched the game, and this happened. Got to be aware of the inbounder here if you're Philly. It's off to Leonard, defended by Simmons. Is this the dagger? Like, that's enough. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, for the next two hours, I sat in my living room and watched the replay over and over and over and over. And I was, uh, I just could not wipe the smile off my face. Um, don't ask me how this series is going, but that was a great moment. That was a great moment. Um, and I, I just felt the need to update you uh, because I, I informed you last week and obviously got to make sure you're in the loop now. Um, so I like talking about the Raptors because I love, I love basketball, I love the Raptors, uh, but I love Jesus more. And so I, uh, I have, uh, I'm just going to make that clear. 
I get the privilege of talking about what I love most uh, each week, uh, and that's Jesus, and that's what we're talking about this week. The long story short, uh, the whole story of Scripture we're trying to do in 13 weeks, and this is week 11, and we finally get to talk about the mission the mission, uh, because of what Jesus has done, what we talked about last week with his death and resurrection, uh, there is a mission, there is a purpose, there is, uh, that event not only was for 2,000 years ago, but it transforms the who we are and what we're about today. And so I got a second video, um, this one is not the Toronto Raptors, uh, but it's, it's uh, from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, it's a CS, which was a book written by C.S. Lewis, which was made into a few movies, the Chronicles of Narnia, um, a number of years back. Uh, and there's this one scene uh, that they're about to transfer into the world of Narnia, and we're going to pick it up right here. Lucy, have you seen this ship before? Yes. It's very Narnian looking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, just another reminder that we're here and not there. There once were two orphans who wasted their time Believing in Narnia nursery rhyme. Not so fascinating about that picture anyway. It's hideous. Edmund, it looks like the water's actually moving. What rubbish, see? That's what happens when you read all those fanciful novels and fairy tales. Edmund, the painting! Oh, the Makes you want to go watch the rest, I'm sure. So, the, in the first book, the children enter through the wardrobe. They enter into the, the world of Narnia. Uh, in this version, they enter through a picture frame. And the frame is a portal into a different reality. Into a world called Narnia, where there is a line in Aslan that rules. And this picture reframes their reality. And it reframes who they are, because in the real world... Uh, Peter and the rest of them, uh, Edmund, Lucy, and who's the fourth one? Uh, Susan, thank you. Uh, they're just normal children. But when they enter into the world of Narnia, they become kings and queens. It changes their whole uh, reality of who they are. It reframes who they are. And I think the Bible, for a lot of people, is just a picture that hangs on the wall. It's just something that maybe sits at their, uh, at their bedside table. And it's not necessarily something they enter. And for the long story short, for it to be, become life-transforming, it needs to move from being a story that we just observe or look, look at, like that picture on the wall, and it be, needs to become a world that we enter into. This is why James, uh, in, his, in his letter, says that we must be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. It's not, it's not something that we listen to or watch. It's actually an experience that we enter into. We, we do the story. These aren't just stories about 2,000 years ago. They are story, they're microcosm stories um, that actually invite us to live out the story that they're telling. So how do we enter the picture? How do we enter the picture? The, the answer is actually pretty simple, by faith. 
and we've talked about this, but faith is not just an intellectual thing, it's a behavioral thing, and Jesus refers to this as following him. We don't just say we believe in Jesus, Lord, we actually choose to follow him, and this is what is referred to in the New Testament as discipleship, or becoming a disciple of Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming a learner of Jesus. Some people have a gift of taking something simple and making it very complicated. Would you agree with that? How many of you guys know people like that? They take the simplest idea and they just overcomplicate it. I I think I can tend to do that. Some people have a gift of taking something very complicated and making it very simple. Jesus was better than anybody at this. You know, he took 613 commandments in the Old Testament and he simplified it into the greatest commandment which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 613 laws he boiled down succinctly into the greatest commandment. Along with the great commandment, there's something called the great commission. That Jesus took the purpose, the mission that he actually created us for, and he simplified it in a very profound, succinct way for us. And so in Matthew 28, we see this great commission. It's 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, right before his ascension, and he gives them the disciples' mission statement. It's their mission statement, but it's also our mission statement. This is what it says. Then Jesus, 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 (laughs) I've been watching too much basketball, Uh, ask them, no, uh, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We can overcomplicate it, but it's really quite simple. And even when you look at that, you think it's kind of simple, but it's even more simple than you think it is. You know, when I have three boys, and, uh, you know, sometimes they uh, need to clean their room. And uh, usually it's their mom that tells them to clean the room, but let's just pretend it's me telling them to clean the room for the sake of the illustration. I say, I say boys, go clean your room. Um, if it was me, they would say you first. But let's just, let's forget, let's forget about that first. I say, boys, go clean your room. And I follow that up with, You know, pick up the clothes off the floor, put them in the laundry basket. What else did they claim? You know, vacuum the floors, make your beds, dust the dresser, get the the carpet cleaner out. I don't know. Uh, I, I I could say all those things. I give all these descriptors. But you could wrap it up with one thing, clean your room. Right? All those things are describing the act of cleaning their room. You, are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Okay, so in Matthew 28, we have, uh, if you were to go into the Greek language, there's only one imperative. There's only one commandment in this entire commission. One thing. Sometimes in our English translations, we, it gets lost. We, we think, uh, is it going? Making disciples? Is it to baptize? Is it... Uh, you know, teaching, obeying, you know, what, what's the thing that we're supposed to do? Well, if you actually were to go into the original text, Jesus commands us to do one thing. 
Make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. Discipleship isn't a book. It's not a curriculum. It's not going to church or Bible study. Discipleship is life on life. All those other things in this passage describe the act of disciple making. Just like I say, go clean your room, and I say, it, it might look like all these different things. Jesus says, make disciples. And then he gives commentary around what that looks like, what that means. In the first century, there was this phrase, and it went like this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And that was spoken to the disciples of a rabbi. So what would happen is there would be a rabbi, there would be a teacher, and then he would have, he would have a following. He would have, would have a group of disciples that would follow him and learn his ways. They would learn the things that he knows, but it was more than that. They would learn to live as he lived. So the way he, the way he would walk, they would learn to walk. The way he would talk, they would learn to talk. The way he would interact, they would, you know, there is, there is references to disciples following the rabbis into the bathroom. This is how literally and crazy they took this idea. We must be like our rabbi. So discipleship is life on life. It is mimicking. It is, it is being like someone as much as you possibly can. And so the first point of disciple making is we need to recognize that we are becoming disciples of Jesus. That is the one whom we're following. That's the one whom we're mimicking. But we disciple one another. And so Paul says something like to this effect in, in one of his letters. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. What he's saying is I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm trying to mimic my life after Christ. And you come and follow me as I follow him. And I can look back at my own life and I can see individuals who have discipled me. Some were intentional conversations where I said, would you disciple me? And I could probably give you half a dozen names of people, that, of adults that went somewhere before me that were Christ-like to me uh, that I kind of came under to be shaped, ultimately to be more Christ-like, but I saw Christ-likeness in them, and that's why I invited them to disciple me. And so it's life on life. It's conversations about life, about marriage, about kids, about stresses, about disappointments, about hopes, about dreams, about the struggle of what it means to follow Jesus in this world. That's what real life discipleship looks like. It's not a curriculum. Discipleship is loving someone for who they are, where they are, and inviting them to take that next step to follow Jesus. It involves tough love. The people that have discipled me are people that speak to me with grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace means I'm going to love you no matter what. Truth means I'm going to be honest with you no matter what. When you have that combination of someone who loves Jesus and can speak to you with grace and truth, it's a transforming relationship. You have people like that in your life that can speak to you with grace and truth. Are you being discipled? Are you discipling someone else? When you are full of these two things, grace and truth, and a desire to be Christ-like, you have the recipe for a transformative relationship. At SunWest, you've heard our mission statement is to guide all people into a lifelong relationship with Jesus. This is discipleship language. It's why we picked this language 23 years ago. 
this idea of a lifelong relationship is this idea of discipleship. We use the word guide very intentionally because ultimately we recognize whether you're in a position of leadership or not that we were all on the same journey following Jesus. And that's why we use the word guide. It's an invitation to come along and follow me as I follow Christ. We exist to guide all people into a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a statement about discipleship. So let's reflect for a moment. And let me ask you a question. Who are you discipling? When you look behind you, is there anyone following you? And I have some good news, and it might be bad news, but you, you're probably discipling people that you don't even know you're discipling. But I think we could be discipling a little bit more intentionally. Now at Sunwest, we got a great youth ministry program. We got a great uh, children's ministry program. And I got kids in youth ministry and children's ministry. And I want to go on record and just state this. That it is not the job of the youth ministry or children's ministry to disciple my own kids. I mean, Colton's fantastic. Kendall's fantastic. And believe me, I can use all the help I need, and I need a tag team. I need partners. It takes a whole village. Yes, yes, and yes. But the primary job of discipleship with my own kids lies with me. And sometimes I think we've been too content to offload the responsibility of discipleship to the church, whoever that is or whatever that means. But discipleship isn't a program. It's life on life. Who are you rubbing shoulders with, doing life with every single day? Who are you discipling? Who are you in humility allowing others or someone to disciple you? So this is the core thing. Make disciples. This is what Jesus asks us to do. Sometimes you, I mean, many times you've probably heard the great commandment. Love God, love people. Yes, let's do that. And then the, what does that look like? It looks like making disciples. If we focus on that, I believe that Jesus, when we see him face to face, will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is what it's about, disciples. Discipleship. So let me kind of look at some other parts of this passage. Therefore, go and make disciples. So when you are reading the scriptures and it says, therefore, you must ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? Because there's something important before it. What's the therefore, therefore? The therefore is therefore, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore. This is critical. Jesus is sending them out to do something scary, to do something they've never done before. Eleven of the twelve disciples will be martyred for their faith. Jesus is putting courage into them. He's encouraging them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And you know me. You are my disciples. So therefore, go. Therefore. It's a dangerous plan. And sometimes we're afraid of moving, out of moving out of the house, moving away from mom and dad, doing something on our own. I, I, I read an article uh, recently where a 32-year-old got kicked out of his parents' house. And he took his parents to court. And the judge sided, thankfully, with the parents. 
and then the son appealed. I, I, I don't know if it was a son. I'm just assuming it was a son. Maybe that's a bad, uh, maybe that's a bad assumption. But there's, there becomes a point in our life where we actually have to take responsibility. We have to take risk. We have to move forward in courage. And this is Jesus encouraging the disciples to move out. It's okay. All authority has been given to me. And I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you permission. Move out. Go. They didn't need more information. You'll, no, you'll notice. Jesus didn't tell them and explain to them why this is important. What they needed was courage. What they needed was the incentive, the authority, the permission, the encouragement. Therefore, go. Go. Now, we have a whole bunch of ideas of what we think go means. You know, go, maybe historically in your mind, has meant, you know, go... Uh, to Mexico, go to El Salvador, go build houses, go do something, and those are important things. And go can definitely mean that. But I think uh, that default understanding has actually prevented us from grabbing hold of what what's Jesus is really inviting us to. This ministry that he's called us to. Now, ministry isn't just for certain people. You know, maybe you thought that going meant... I got to go to cemetery. I mean, seminary. Uh, sorry, I went to seminary, so I, I'm allowed to make that joke, but you, you can't. But maybe going in your mind meant, oh, I got to go get trained. I got to go get, uh, you know, something that I don't have. And what is actually happening here, what, what's being described here, if you were to break down the original languages, it could be translated or should be translated, in your going as you go. How many of you guys go somewhere every day? Or at least once a week? So, some of you, you, you get out of the house once a week. And, and maybe you're like, oh, yeah. you go downstairs, right? You, 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 you do something, you, you interact with some. maybe you don't even get off the couch, but you're, you're, you're playing Fortnite and you got the headset on and you're, you're going virtually somewhere. You're talking to somebody. So with there, there's some kind of interaction there's some kind of going that you are doing in your life. You're going to the grocery store. You're going to work. You're going to drop kids off at school. You are going out with your friends. You're going out to get the mail, to take the garbage out, to take a walk. I don't know where your going is, but this is what is being described here. In your going, wherever you go, you fill in the blanks. You can think in your mind, where do I go each day, each week? And then you think, who am I rubbing shoulders with seeing, interacting with in that going? And Jesus is saying, that is the place where I'm inviting you to be on mission. And as long as we think that we buy into this lie, and the, the angel, or, or the, the, the enemy always comes like a, an angel of light, right? He twists things. And so it's not that missions is bad. It's not that building houses is bad. It's not that going to seminary and getting training, going to Bible school. None of that stuff is bad. But what it, the lie that can come in the shadow of that is if I don't do those things, then I'm not on mission. Then I'm not ready. I'm not equipped. And that's the lie. Uh, and I think that's the lie that's actually robbed the church for a number of years of being about the things that Jesus was about. And you might have disqualified yourself and think, I'm not equipped to make disciples. Well, I'll go back to the first. Therefore, therefore, you know, Jesus 
has the authority in heaven and on earth. And what he's looking for you to do is just be obedient. He's the one that has the degree. He's the one that has the training. He's the one that has the authority. He's just inviting you to follow him, to open your eyes to where you're going, to observe who's around you, and then start living with the level of intentionality. Discipleship is just doing what you do, but doing it on purpose. It's following Jesus in the midst of your day-to-day life and then inviting other people to follow you as you follow Jesus. In Luke 15, we have, there's three stories, three lost stories, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And I want to take this moment in this going point uh, to talk about why we exist as a church. We talked about it. We exist to guide all people into a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. This church exists for the person that isn't here yet. This church exists for the people that don't know Jesus yet. We don't gather to stay. We didn't move into Minipur to stay. We actually moved into Minipur to go. You know, so this year, we, as we moved into the neighborhood just under a year ago, you've noticed like our community events have up. We, you know, we did the Polar Express event. We did the Easter egg hunt. We did, we've been doing PD day camps. You know, you've heard that we're doing serve day in a couple of weeks, and we're going to do the stampede breakfast. We're, we're not just doing these things to do these things. We're actually doing these things to go, to create relationship, to create the possibility of relationship, to create the invitation for people that are far from Jesus to come close to Jesus. We're not just doing these things to do them. Although they're great events, we're going, and in our going, we're trying to disciple the neighborhood. And that doesn't happen overnight. It takes relationship. Jesus walked relationally with his disciples for three years. We are corporately trying to be intentional in our going. And I would ask you, are you being intentional individually in your going? Because this is a non-negotiable part of being a follower of Jesus. Because being a disciple, like we learned, is being a follower of Jesus. And if you are staying and Jesus is moving, by definition, you're not following. Are you you picking up what I'm laying down? We are following. We are moving. We are going. So therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Now, I want to talk about this phrase briefly. Sometimes we, I hear phrases like, we're going to um, disciple the nations. And there's nothing uh, inherently wrong with that phrase. In fact, it's a beautiful phrase because it speaks to the ultimate dream and reality um, of the end that we see in Scripture where every tongue, tribe, and nation will be bending their knee and worshiping Jesus as Lord. So we say yes and amen to that. But that is not what this is talking about, actually. And in fact, when we talk about discipling the nations, that's such, you know, I don't know about you, but it just, it feels so defeating and overwhelming to me. It's like, how on earth are we going to disciple Canada? Like, that's, that's just, am I alone in this? That's just a scary, frightening, deflating idea. What this is referring to 
the, the Greek word here is ethne, which is where we get the word ethnicity or ethnic from. So what Jesus is actually saying is, therefore, go, in your going, make disciples of all nations, of people that don't look like you, don't smell like you, don't sound like you, people that aren't in the same economic class as you, people that you wouldn't normally associate with. Every barrier that you can think of in society, those barriers are gone in Jesus' name. Now go and disciple those people. So for you, discipling the nations might actually mean your neighbor, literally right beside you, walking across the street, that person in your office you have nothing in common with. Jesus said, disciple them. Whatever barriers are perceived to be there, they don't exist anymore. Jesus is inviting all people into relationship with himself, and he's looking at you to cross that bridge. The person who doesn't look like you, disciple them. Doesn't talk like you, disciple them. They have a different language, different economic class, different whatever. You don't have to disciple a whole nation. Jesus is inviting you to look at the individuals that are in front of you in your going every single day, and he's putting you on mission for them. Baptizing, we talk about this a lot at SunWest. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but just to highlight that in a couple of weeks, we will be uh, baptizing a handful of people again. And we just did it on the Easter weekend, and there's more that are wanting to take that step of baptism. We're excited to do that together on June 9th. And if you haven't taken that step of baptism, I would invite you to do that. This is not just a good idea. This is actually an act of obedience. Jesus in the Great Commission invites us to be baptized. That this is normative for the Christ follower. You know, if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been baptized, you actually haven't been following him because uh, he was baptized in his death and resurrection, and he invites us, and he, well, and he was actually baptized in water uh, by his cousin John, and he invites us to enter into his death and resurrection through the process of baptism. Have you taken that act of obedience, that public confession of your faith, to say that I am following Jesus? My orientation in life is to be his disciple. That is marked by people that have been baptized. So therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey. So, there's a lot of teaching in church. Would you agree with that? I mean, you, you guys have probably listened to me teach way too many times. And there's teaching, uh, there's books out there, there's podcasts out there, there's, you know, I, I think of, you know, how many hundreds of churches are meeting in Calgary this weekend receiving teaching. And sometimes we just want to be taught to learn, and that's it. You know, we want to be taught ideas, and I'm coming back to the idea that we started this sermon with. Let's go back to the cleaning of the room analogy. Let's say I, I told my boys to go clean the room, do all the stuff, clean it. And they came back to me and they said, Dad, guess what? I said, what? It's like we memorized what you said. You said, you said, go clean your room. Pick up your clothes, dust the dresser, and vacuum the floor. I said, that's great. I'm glad you can recite to me what I said. Let's go look at your room. I said, oh, no, we, you don't need to look. We actually didn't do it, but we memorized what you said. Aren't you, 
Aren't you happy, Dad, that we know exactly what you said? It's like, ah, you know, boys, I was hoping for a little bit more than that. It's like, okay, okay. You know, so maybe the next day they come to us, hey, Dad, we gathered some friends. We had a little small group. We gathered in a room. We actually translated everything you said into Greek. Can I, can I show you the Greek? Can I show you the Greek, Dad? This is, you said, go clean your room. And this is the Greek for it. You know, I looked it up. I Googled it. And uh, Google Translator. Now, do you think as a dad, I mean, there's a point where I'm like, that's cute. But then there becomes a point where you're like, it's not cute anymore. You're actually missing the whole point. The point was not the information. In fact, we as a Western culture have been more educated than any other people group in the history of mankind, and we are far more educated than our level of obedience. Jesus says, teach them to obey. You, you guys know more than you need to know. You don't even need to listen to me say anything ever again. What we need is to be obedient to what Jesus has already told us to do. But it's much easier to learn ideas than it is to be obedient. Obedience is much simpler, but much harder. So Jesus, let's be clear, is being very simple. But it's difficult. Are you and I content just to fill our minds with information, more information, ideas, strategies? Or are we being simply obedient to Jesus and going, making disciples, observing who's around us, and inviting them to follow Jesus? And not just by telling them, but by living that way and inviting them to follow us as we follow Jesus. I think there are some here this morning that have allowed their mind to hold them captive and have entered into paralysis. You know, and, and, I, and I like ideas, don't get me wrong, but I've experienced this. You can think yourself into paralysis. You can think something from a hundred different angles and the end result of that thinking is just to do nothing because you're so overwhelmed with your own thinking. I think there's times where Jesus says, stop thinking. No, don't tweet that. Pastor Matt, stop thinking. Uh, it's in context. But there, there's times where we actually need to stop thinking and just start doing. Get, it, get out of our heads. Get out of our own thinking. True understanding, true revelation is actually found in obedience. And I'll tell you what, it's when we live in obedience to Christ, when we follow Christ, that his teachings actually begin to make sense to us. When you follow Jesus, when you do what he's asked you to do, your knowledge and your understanding, your true knowledge and understanding actually grow. Move outside of our heads. So I'm so glad. So before... I want you to read it. Before we get into this passage, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that's the Great Commission. And you've probably heard these verses before. But before we got into this passage, here is the setting. Here's the environment. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. So who is there? The 11 disciples. Okay, pretty important people, right? Listen to this. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. 
I'm so glad that this precedes the Great Commission. I'm so glad because I can identify with this. I wish I could tell you that I'm full of faith all the time, but I'm not. I wrestle with doubt just like you do, and evidently just like the 11 disciples did. And remember, these are the guys that Jesus chose to actually start up this revolution that we call the church. If you wrestle with doubt, first of all, you're not alone. Secondly, I found that faith is built often the way muscles are. To build up a muscle, often it has to be broken down. Right, that's what we do when you, we, we work out. As you can tell, I work out a lot. Uh, but, you know, these, these babies don't grow without getting broken down over and over and over again. I'll tell you that. Muscle has to get broken down, and then it has to be built up. It's deconstructed before it's reconstructed. We need to make sure we're building on the right foundations, and that's Jesus. Jesus the life and teachings of Jesus, absolutely, but... But within that, we all wrestle with doubt. And sometimes we think there's doubters and there's believers, but I don't think that's right. I think that's the wrong delineation. I think there's doubters and then there's liars. Yes? No? Oh, it's just me. All of us struggle with doubt. All of us have a bout with doubt. You know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible in the Gospels, where there's a father who had a little boy who was having seizures, and the, the, the father was desperate to help a son, and he says to Jesus, you can, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus says, if I can, of course I can. Everything is possible to him who believes. And then he, the father responds to Jesus by saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. I think it's one of the most honest, beautiful responses to Jesus in Scripture. I, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's me. I believe. I have faith. But I still need help overcoming doubt. Faith isn't something you can prove. We believe in things we can't prove. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there isn't evidence for faith. I think there's overwhelming evidence for faith, and I think that evidence pushes us towards faith more than it pushes us away from faith. But within that, I'm just saying that some of us, all of us at one point or another, will struggle with doubt. We'll struggle with trusting Jesus. We'll struggle with Believing that Jesus is enough. You can't prove or disprove it. It's an issue of trust. And what I'm trying to say is this, is that I hope that SunWest can be a church that has space for people that doubt. I hope this is a church for those that doubt. We're not going to pretend we have all the answers here but we're not going to let our doubt stand in the way of our obedience. We're going to follow. We're going to trust. And if you're here and you have doubts, that's awesome. I just encourage you to keep following Jesus in the midst of your doubts because we're in good company. The 11 disciples, when they saw him, some worshiped, some doubted, but Jesus still chose them and said, follow me. So there's the great commission for you. And what, what we have is a great commission sandwich. And I was told in the pre-service meeting that I don't say sandwich properly. Uh, sandwich. Not an M. 
Somebody suggested maybe I should talk about a sub, the Great Commission sub. There's bread on the upper and bottom side. But, th but this is, the point is to make disciples. That is the simple truth, the simple action, the simple purpose that Jesus gave you and I. And then he sandwiched it with this. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, make disciples. And then he ends it with, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It starts and it ends with Jesus. It starts with the authority of Jesus and ends with the presence of Jesus. When we talk about authority, maybe some of us have an idea of what authority that isn't actually Christ-like authority. Let me paint a little bit of a picture for you. In John 13, it says that Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Amen. And so he got up. And if we were to fill in the blanks and we were to think in our own flesh, you know, someone who had all authority on heaven and earth came from God, going back to God, and then he got up. What was he going to do when he got up? He was going to make some kind of proclamation. He was going to point the finger and order people around. He was, uh, you know, going to make a statement. He was going to tell everybody a strategy. He was going to, um, you know, tell people whatever. That's not what happened. Listen. This is what it says. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And he gives authority to us to be on co-mission with him. And I think we have a twisted idea of what that means sometimes. And Jesus shows us what that means. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you must be the least. Jesus didn't talk about it as an idea. He demonstrated an obedience in the way that he lived. The towel use that as a metaphor, is, was Jesus' M.O., to serve. This job of washing feet was the lowest job in Jewish culture on the Jewish totem pole. Only servants washed feet. Jesus takes the role of a servant. He washes your feet. He washes my feet. He washes disciples' feet. And then he says, follow me. And so if we want to know what being on mission looks like living with purpose, living in partnership with Jesus, it looks like being the servant of all. And I think we have a church in our culture in our time that talks and talks and talks a lot about ideas, a lot about, you know, right thinking. And I'm not saying that those things are bad, but what we're missing is a church that is taking the ideas from here and living them out in obedience. I wonder if we took the ammo of the towel, if our posture was just to serve, to love, to be the servant of all, how much stronger our voice would be for those that are far from Jesus. So honestly, I look, at the, I look at the pages of Scripture and I see this beautiful picture of Jesus and I'm thinking, who wouldn't want to follow them? Well, I know people that their only understanding of Jesus comes from those who have misrepresented him and aren't actually being disciples of him. 
But if we are his disciples, if we are serving all, if we have, if there's no boundary, if we will we'll go over and through any boundary to people that don't look like us, talk like us, are in different economic classes, people that are being outcasted by everybody else, and we said, we are going to be Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus to love on these people, to be the servant of all. I wonder how much more our message of hope would be received. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We want to be known as people at SunWest who don't just stare at a picture hanging on the wall, but we want to enter into the story. We want to enter into the picture. We want to get on mission with Jesus. The bottom line of this sandwich is the promise that Jesus will be with us. In other words, everywhere you go, everything you do, you're on mission and Jesus is with you. You're his mission partner. Now this is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. The book of John, John tells things from a, often a different angle. He, is, he gives us this beautiful picture that says the same thing. But it says at the end of John's gospel that Jesus breathed into his disciples the Holy Spirit. And it's the exact same thing that's happening. Jesus breathes into us his spirit. And when he breathes into us, we receive authority and we receive presence. We receive authority and we receive presence. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and receive. And even hold out your palms as a posture of receiving. That Jesus wants to give you authority and presence. That in your going, may your eyes be open to those around you that are different than you. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And may you invite other people to follow you as you follow Christ. And may you move forward with courage and confidence because you know that he has breathed his spirit into you. And he has given you authority. And he has promised that his presence will go with you wherever you go. Say yes to that. In Jesus' name, amen. that it is your breath in our lungs that allows us to live. And if we're still breathing, then we still have purpose. So Lord, I pray that you would breathe back into each individual in this space, in this room this morning, your purpose, your mission, your authority, and your presence. Lord, I thank you that you go with us wherever we go in our going. May we open our eyes to see what you've put before us for us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer teams forward. If you would like to receive prayer for anything, uh, we would invite you forward to, to do that. And a reminder uh, to sign up for Serve Day uh, in the foyer. To sign up for a project. And we are looking for a couple more projects to make sure we got enough spaces. So uh, if you can think even this week on uh, things that we could do in the Sundance Minnipore area to put a towel on and to serve our community. Uh, that would be awesome. And, uh, and, and the other reminder is just that the Jeff Nichols Memorial will be at uh, Tuesday at 2 o'clock. 
go in the authority and the presence of Jesus. We'll see you next week.